What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I wanted to just throw this in in the beginning. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. That really helps our numbers. Check out the merch store at brennantcomedy.com slash merch store to get your ex-drinking buddy merch. And if you really want to, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash brennantassif. That really helps me out. Thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. Grab me a beer and grab him a coat. We about to sit for an hour bullshit and tell jokes. And please don't mix it up, cause he didn't sober up. Brandon T. Comedy on your social media feeds. And Brandon Tess, here, bitch, your ex drinking buddy. Brandon Tess, here, bitch, your ex drinking buddy. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Brennan Tessif is your ex. Drinking buddy, there's gonna be a graphic there. I am your host, Brennan Tassif. If you're new to the program, quick rundown of the show. I used to be everyone's favorite drinking buddy. It's my favorite thing to do: hang out with friends, get drunk, do drugs, get in all sorts of trouble, and then reminisce about those fun stories. I am sober now, but it is still one of my favorite things to do: hang out with someone and reminisce about the crazy old days. Most weeks, I'll be joined by a guest. This week is no exception. All the way from New York City, Carlos Gasperi. Woo. Thanks for having me, man. What's up, man? Not much. Life. Comedy. I don't know. Comedy. <laughs> um, plug everything up front uh, before we get too far into the episode. Uh, social media. This will come out this week. So any dates you have coming up next week, anything like that. Cool. Yeah. So I guess Instagram is just Carlos G Comedy. And then I started producing a show at Eastville called The American Immigrants. My co-host, uh, Roman Gutierrez. So the next date is May 9th, 8 p.m. Okay, perfect. Yeah. We'll link it in the show notes. Everybody check it out. I wanted to have you on. Um, and this was kind of funny because like with some guests, you have a real job career that you have. So I was like, hey, do you want to come on? And you were like, let me think about it. I got to think about this, but I'm so happy you came on for sure. I wanted to talk about, cause you had a very interesting upbringing. Um, you're from Venezuela. You didn't move here until you were 18 to the United States. Yep. And now you live in the biggest city in the world and do stand up. So how did that even happen? I honestly, I, sometimes I don't even know. Cause, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, so I left Venezuela when I was 18 to go to college here. It was all kind of like a very predetermined path. Like when I think of like what I wanted to be as a kid, it was a software engineer. Oh, okay. And that's what I, I mean, not necessarily a software engineer. I would always say that I wanted to be an engineer, uh, but looking back on it, I think I was just kind of following whatever path had been given to me and it wasn't really challenging that. So I was very much like a rule follower growing up. Okay. Like, got good grades in school. Like, the whole thing was like, what's like the best college I can go to this whole like idea of, of leaving Venezuela. And so and, in yeah. Venezuela are your parents aren't expats, right? They're from Venezuela. So my dad's from Venezuela. My mom's American. Okay. Okay. But she's half Colombian, so she already knew how to speak Spanish. Uh, so is that you, you grew there. up in a house speaking Spanish? Like the it was full Venezuela. So Spanish with my dad, English with my mom. Okay. And English with my brother. Okay. I have one sibling. Yeah. So are you still fluent in Spanish? Yep. Okay. Yep. Native speaker. Yeah. That always because you have the bit, and I always burn everyone's bits because I love comedy <laughs> so much. But you're always like I'm the, di the the diversity hire if you want everything to look the same. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But it's true. Like, I mean, you grew up in Venezuela. You're from Venezuela. You lived there till you were 18. And what prompted you to come to the United States? You said it was a like a predetermined path. But was it always like, oh, the best colleges are in the U.S. So that's where I'm going. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So like my parents put me for the most part, I went to this like American school. That's what I was just Venezuela. about to ask. Okay, yeah, I was okay, an international okay. school that was basically made for expats uh, originally. And then that kind of fluctuated over time because yeah, you don't have an accent or anything. 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I basically like I grew work up, with a lot of people who are from South America, and they don't sound like yeah, you. yeah. It's like yeah. I mean, it's because I've been speaking English and going to school in English my whole life, basically. Yeah. So it's like uh, even so, in the school that I was in, the American school, like you had to speak in English like all the time. Like okay, they, you'd actually get in trouble. Well, not in trouble, trouble, but like they would try and get you to stop speaking. Yeah, Spanish. that's like when when yeah, people yeah. do the the um, what is it called? Study abroad. They're like, oh no, you have to speak whatever languages. Yeah, you're... yeah. They try yeah, and like, yeah. it, like fully. And if they catch you, you speaking English, they're like, hey, 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 we're in Spain. You have to speak Spanish. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I had a lot of friends that like, you know, didn't weren't speaking English at home at all. So for yeah. them, it was super useful to ch- like speak English, like from the moment they got to school to the moment they went home. It was yeah. like So I have some friends that are full on Venezuelan, no American influence, but also speak almost perfect English. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Yeah, which is funny. Yeah. So what was the process? Growing up in Venezuela and then coming to the United States, what was that process like? Is there a lot of paperwork involved or because your mom's American? Yeah, I was I was born a U.S. citizen. I was super lucky okay. in that regard. Were you born in the U.S. or just born I was as... born in Venezuela, but okay. because my mom was American, like I yeah, was technically yeah. a citizen at birth or whatever okay. it's yeah. called. Uh, and yeah, so then when it came to like applying to schools, applying to college, like the idea was I would leave the, the whole point almost of joining the American school in Venezuela was to be make it easier to join to go to college in the States. Okay. Where did you go to college? Uh, Carnegie Mellon. It's in Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. And forgive me for saying, but isn't Carnegie Mellon, it's an art school, isn't it? So it's known for two things. Art. So the the art people know it for art. The engineers know it for engineering. Oh, so it is an engineering school. So it's both. It's like the the two main strengths are engineering and art. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you, you talked about it on stage one time and I was like, wait, you do tech like what are you talking like that's an art it's like someone saying oh i went to juilliard for engineering in my head i was like that doesn't make any sense yeah and it's funny is even when i'm going there i only knew it for being an engineering school so i was surprised when i attended so that it you was get even, there and you're like i was like yeah these fucking artists <laughs> what are these nerds yeah um, yeah so you go to carnegie mellon thank you i try uh you go to <laughs> carnegie mellon and then i wanted to talk to you about getting into stand-up because it's the the first half of the show a lot of the time is getting yeah. into stand-up and you have a very unique path i've had so many people on like especially people who are actors or moved to New York for stuff like that. It's like, oh, well, I was doing acting, then improv, then I did stand-up. And there's a very clear path. Like we talked about it with Carly last week. I've talked about it with other guests on the show before. So for you, none of those things exist. You go to an art school, but you go, it's an engineering school for you. And then also you're a software engineer. You're a very analytical thinker. So like how did you even get into comedy? It's funny as I wasn't, ex- I mean, I was exposed to a little bit of comedy growing up. I mean, like SNL or whatever yeah. we would get in Venezuela. I mean, we'd get most stuff. It was kind of like delayed. It was it's not, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like I never heard about SNL <laughs> until it's like the 1800s. <laughs> like, well, we didn't have TV. So whatever trickled down from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so then, yeah, I was kind of like, as soon as I left college, I went, I moved to Seattle and I okay. worked a big tech company and basically worked at tech companies for like 10 years. And then I'd say my first kind of big exposure to stand-up. I had seen like a few stand-up So up to this point, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt, but up yeah, to this yeah. point, you have no like real exposure to stand-up. Because I've had people be like, oh, John Mulaney. For me, it was Dane Cook. Other people, it was, you know, Jim Gaffigan, Brian Ray. Like everyone in their high school had those CDs floating around. But in our time, it was CDs. Now it was like Spotify and stuff. Almost everyone I talked to that had exposure to stand-up had that. But now you're talking about you're in your almost 30s at this point, and you still have no exposure to stand-up. Yeah, I mean, my only exposure was, like, if I try and remember, like, um, fuck, what's his name? Like, the Indian-Canadian guy, Russell Peters. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember seeing one of his specials, maybe going to one of his shows early on. And then when I was in college, I saw one, like, Louis C.K. special that was, like, one of his first ones that came out on Netflix. Yeah. And that was maybe like the first time that I remember being like really impacted by watching like a full hour of stand-up. And That's like, oh awesome. Oh my God. That, this boy, is incredible. It's just cool that 
you know, now you're in New York and you're doing stand up in New York, but you, it's like, it's how it blows my mind. It's like in sports when they're like, oh, he didn't start playing basketball until he was like a junior in high school. And you're like, this is like one of the best players in the NBA. Like, what are we talking about? So you got exposed late. What was the, you said the Louis CK thing was the first vivid memory you have. What was the thing that when you're in Seattle that kind of like pushed you over the edge to try it? Yeah, so I didn't actually end up trying it until San Francisco. I, okay. I, I lived in Seattle for like four years, yeah. and then in San Francisco, and then New York. So I kind of did like all like the tech, yeah, yeah, like city. So when I was in San Francisco, I was like, in, it was almost like in the back of my mind, I was like starting to cook, yeah, of like, oh, like I really want to try this. And that was just from watching that that a few specials on yeah. online or on Netflix. And then I mean, and then I, I guess after college, I got into like Aziz Ansari, yeah. and like all these other comics started coming up and, and really started becoming more of a fan of watching it. As someone who just loves comedy, it blows my mind when people don't, like what you're talking about, I understand that. You're like, oh yeah, Aziz, and these people, and you're like, yeah, of course. It blows my mind when people are like, Oh, I've never really, I don't really watch stand up. I'm like, what? Like, I'm just, I don't get it. Cause I'm like, it's literally the people go out there to try to just make you feel the best feeling in the world, which is laughter. And they're like, no, I don't do that. I don't, I don't do that. It's, <laughs> I'm it, like, I mean, okay. It, it's amazing. At, at least the, the performing side of it was like, I didn't, when I think back on like, how did I not think of trying it earlier? Yeah. And I was like, I just never thought that that was like, I never saw like the opening or I never thought that that was like available to me. Yeah. Like, people that's don't that understand do. that you can just do that. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was part of it because I was just, like I said before, I was just kind of like in this one track mindset. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm an engineer. I'm like, trying to be successful in this one thing. And it's like, I didn't think of anything else. So when you, I wanted to ask you, and we'll jump around a little bit, but when you're at Carnegie Mellon and you're going to school for engineering, was that like, were you like, okay, I'm here. Like I did it. Like were your parents like, oh, Miho was so proud of you. Like, was that like a thing where it was just like, okay, we're done? Uh, not really. I mean, it's kind of like, you mean, you mean from their perspective of like, are they? Yeah, like just from your life perspective. Cause mm -hmm. I, and I talk, it's a bit I do on stage, but I remember talking to a guy who was 25 and he had just finished law school. He was buying a house and he was engaged. And the bit is, well, I was going to jail just out of rehab at 25. So who's really living their best life? But it's the truth is like I had no idea what I was doing up until my 30s when I got sober the last time. So for I'm saying for you at 18, 19, 20, 21 in college going for engineering, are you like, OK, this is the set path? Like I figured it out. I'm done. Did you had no reser? Okay, I was gonna say you had to have had reservations about do I even want to do this? Oh, like, what am I doing? Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think I kind of like, like implied that I kind of knew the path from the beginning, or like had a lot of confidence in it because yeah. I said that when I was a kid I wanted to be an engineer. Yeah, that's why I thought you yeah. were just like, oh, I made it, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, no, but the whole time it was like you know when I decided what my major was gonna be, even though I had said that as a kid that I wanted to be an engineer, when it came to deciding my major, I like literally sat down with my mom once and we got this book that was like, if you like these things, what should your major be? Oh, really? And it wasn't, I wasn't even going for, I ended up studying computer science, but yeah. when I applied, I was like electrical engineering, computer engineering, like a bunch of different things. Yeah, because my brother did uh, chemical engineering at oh, Cornell. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I considered a few different engineerings and ended up going with computer science only because Carnegie Mellon was like better at that than the other majors that I had oh, applied really? for. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And ended up loving it when, yeah. once I tried it. So uh, do you like code yeah. and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I basically did like for like 10 years. Why yeah. are you not like doing everybody's like website and stuff? <laughs> well, because now, I mean, over time, certain things get way, way easier to do to the point that it's like not worth someone's time. Like the, like yeah. you can do a website without basically knowing any coding. That's yeah. Today. That's what yeah. we did. Here, check it yeah. out. <laughs> BrennanTComedy.com. Brought to you by uh, Squarespace. Uh, yeah, like Squarespace. I mean, change the game. Yeah, in, Wix, in a lot Squarespace, of all that. Um, yeah. And it's interesting you say that because my brother also codes. He needs it for chemical engineering. And it's so funny because 10 years ago, when I first thought of like, oh, I need a website or even maybe 15 years ago, because I started comedy in 09, 
it was like an impossible task. And I talk about this a lot, but we start. I started the podcast um, Drinking Buddies long time ago. My buddy Danny's been on the show before. And then we like banked a bunch of episodes, but then never released it because back then like RSS feeds and all that, it was so foreign to everybody. Yeah. And now my, my twin sister's calling me like, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. It's super easy. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. So for you, I'm sure even when you were going to college, all of the stuff that is possible now seemed impossible. Like you had to be a professional to do it. So when you get when you're at school and you decide, OK, I'm going to do computer science. Was there a part of you that was like any little part of you that was like, I don't I don't know if I even want to do this. Yeah. Maybe I wasn't super conscious of it, but it was almost like I just got to keep moving forward. Yeah. And the whole priority was like getting a job because a lot of my friends that uh, had gone to college in the States from Venezuela. I mean, there's a difference. Like a lot of them weren't U.S. citizens, but a lot of them like they couldn't get jobs and had to move back. Oh, really? And then. I mean, I could have stayed in the country technically, but if I didn't have a job, I wouldn't have the money. So I was just yeah. I would probably gonna have to move back anyway. So that was a, kind of like a big thing. It's like, I didn't want to go back to Venezuela. <laughs> you can't uh, make me go back. You're like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> yeah. I'm not fucking leaving. Exactly. I mean, because Venezuela, so the last, like, from like 1998 till like now, basically, there's been like this steady decline in the economy. Has More it really? Steady. Yeah, I mean, the, the country's in a really, really bad place and has been for like 20 years. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's been like a huge so economic... You're like, so what brought yeah. your, why are your parents still there, if you don't mind my asking? That's a good question. It is like a family question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, They're like, no, Carlos, it's home. We're staying. We're not leaving. It's hard, man. I mean, when, especially at their age, like they've been living in Venezuela for like 45 years or yeah. something. It's hard to just stand up and, and leave. Even if no, they, I, yeah, they're in a I'm lucky saying. position that because my mom is American, like my dad could go, could leave. Well, and that's what I was thinking is they could too. leave tomorrow if they wanted to. It's also the financial situation. Like it's so much more expensive to live here yeah. that even if you, if they sold everything in Venezuela and moved away, it still wouldn't be like a piece of cake to, to move to the States. Yeah. And like, so in your head though, once you're here, you're like, I'm not going to go back. Yeah. So out of college, the first job you get is Seattle. First job I got was Seattle. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. you're there four years. You go to San Francisco. Four years, then San Francisco. Yeah, I was there for like another four years. Is this yeah. all? This is all tech related. All tech. I was working in like at a like I was working at Amazon. It was like a like you know massive company, obviously. And then <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to put the qualifier on there. Yeah, but it was working at yeah. Amazon. You know, it's a pretty pretty big deal. <laughs> but I mean, company. in the sense that it like it made me feel like an ant, like I was insignificant. Yeah. So I wanted to work at a smaller company, and that's why I moved to San Francisco. I ended up working at like an eighty person company. Oh, okay. Is that company still around? Uh, no, so it got acquired right away, like six months later. That's what always happens. Yeah. I only know this from talking with my older brother, who, again, is a chemical engineer, and he's worked for nonprofits and startups and all these different things. And then he, he worked for P&G for a long time, but he, which is the situation that, similar to what you were doing with Amazon, where he's like just a cog in the machine. Yeah. And then it's so interesting because he's like, yeah, you know, you, when you work for a startup, the whole goal is basically to get acquired. Like that for a lot of the people who for started, them, yeah, it's sure. like, oh, we just want to get a good, um, what is it called? A, uh, initial, uh, evaluation, evaluation. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're worth X amount of dollars and then someone buys you for that. And you're like, all right, I'm out. I don't ever have to work again, which is insane to me though. Cause it's like, but th this was like, if someone came to me and said, Hey Brennan, I'll pay you a million dollars, but you can never do stand up again. I'd be like, fuck <laughs> off. Like, no, well, first of all, after yeah, taxes, yeah. that's going to last me like a couple years. Maybe like I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them end up doing it again. 
Oh, really? They'll take two years off. I mean, the really successful ones, which it's just kind of like a misconception. Like the only people that really do well in startups are like, it's a very, very small amount of them. Same thing with show business. Pretty much the founders only. And like early employees at some of the big companies, like the companies. Well, we all saw uh, social network. We all saw what happened with Facebook. And I'm not even making a joke. Like he edged his buddy out. And then all of a sudden his stock was worth like nothing. Yeah, it was like drama, all that. Yeah, all that stuff happens. So were you a part of something similar to that at the, the smaller company in San Francisco? Yeah, except that I didn't make money because I only made no, it for six but, months. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but it was still fun. It was like Twitter acquired us. So it was like cool seeing like an acquisition by a big company that yeah. everybody knows. Uh, and and then going into what I call like Twitter gold, Twitter's like golden years before yeah. all this stuff with like Elon happens now. But it was kind of like a, I don't know. Let's just say it was like a very comfortable place to. Yeah. So you were still working <laughs> work. there. You were six months in. They get acquired, and then you worked there and then for I did another like two three and a half years, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, like three so years. Yeah. What at what point? Because you said you didn't start in Seattle. At what point do you first get on a stage? Right. So I did a class in San Francisco. I'm like, I was never gonna. Looking back, and actually, I think I heard Anthony Jeselnik say that like it's kind of the same uh, uh, like mentality. Like I was never gonna go by myself to an open mic and, and get on stage. Yeah. I was never gonna be that type of person. I think I had a lot of stage fright, stuff like that. So I was like, oh, a class is like a way that I can maybe experiment. It's and a door like, in, yeah. Yeah, it's a door in. And then that class, the one in San Francisco, like totally sucked. Like he didn't even mention open mics. He didn't like, really? even like get, like he put us up act like in class in front of like 10 people, like maybe like once per student or twice per student, something like that for like an eight week class i don't even know what we were doing that sounds horrible to be honest so it, it sucked like i didn't get excited about it it was like the worst way yeah. to like, get introduced to it uh and then new york is like i i, I moved to new so york that was the yeah. only time you'd been on a stage pretty much in san francisco yeah and i wouldn't even have called it a stage because it was yeah. like the, yeah. the guy's a classroom yeah <laughs> so then you moved to new york is this again for work it's again for work okay. so i had kind of like um so i left twitter because i also felt like i was kind of wasting my life in the sense of like you know you're you're getting it's such a big flex to be like so I then know. I leave Twitter you know so I'm not getting along with some of the people there the founders you know I just can't I can't do it but it's kind of like what you were saying right it's like if somebody offered you a million dollars to like to to do stand-up and it's like but you don't feel like you're making any sort of progress in stand-up you're like no I'll, I'd rather not be making money but be enjoying my life yeah you know what I mean that's actually so, I'm actually like, at that crossroads right now and I don't know it fully but with the one man show, everyone's like, oh, like not everyone, but a bunch of people I spoke with, like big comics are like, this is going to be your thing. This is going to be your thing. And it's exactly what you're saying is like, in my head, I go, yeah, but I want to do con- like I want to do stand up. Yeah. And this is not it's the furthest thing from it. And they go, oh, yeah, but you'll be on stage. It is comedy in a way. It's just a little different. I go, yeah, but I don't know if I want to do that. And then the more I've sat on it and like reflected, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this is actually a great way to make money and to get noticed and stuff. But it's exactly what you're saying. It's like. Well, it's kind of the same thing. And it's like, yeah, but that's not what I want to do. So I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. It hasn't been the first time that I'm like, oh, like it sucks, like making good money and quitting. You know? <laughs> because my parents are the first ones who are like, dude, like you don't live in Venezuela. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> like, like, you live in the most expensive city. <laughs> right. In the right. World. Like you're, li- you're living a good life. And I'm, I'm not saying I wasn't living a good life, but from the career perspective, yeah. and professional perspective, like I felt like I was, you know, I worked in a bunch of projects that ended up getting canceled and like all my work was just going to waste. And yeah. I'm like, sure. Like I am getting a really good paycheck, which is awesome. So all your financial problems go away. But then like the problem of like self-fulfillment is still there. Like I don't, well, that's really the like, whole thing. Yeah. I, I work at a really swanky steakhouse downtown. The listeners know we never say the name of it though. Cause sometimes we talk about our guests and I don't want it, that getting back to anybody. Cause some yeah. of them are incredibly famous. Uh, but that's the thing is people are like, Hey, you know, if you went full time or if you worked f- six days a week, you could clear, you know, close to 150 a year. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't move to New York to wait to do that 
do yeah. and it, it, there's yeah. I, obviously there's nothing wrong with it i love waiting tables i love being a server it's like actually i'm very passionate about it it's very competitive and you get to know a lot about stuff and you get to make people's like people come in for big things like anniversaries and birthdays and i get to be a part of that and i love that but my ultimate goal is stand up So I tell people all the time, it's like, no, I'd rather work three days and maybe three or four days there and maybe struggle a little bit financially, but still be able to do the shows, get booked on stuff, go to Mike's. Like, I'd much rather do that than work six days a week and live like, oh, my New York life. But like, I'm not doing comedy. It's like I could just move back to Florida where there's no state income tax and do this. Like, what what are we doing here? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're you're making a sacrifice for the thing that is really the important thing. Yeah. And that's the difference between people who not only make it but even attempt to try is that sacrifice because there's so many people who would listen to this and go yeah right like i would never give up a good steady paycheck to like do a hobby and it's like well that's that's why you're never gonna do in the words of brad pitt and troy that's (laughs) why no one will remember your name (laughs) so you get to new york and then what I want to know so badly what pushes you to start going to Mike's. Was it a friend? Were you over your stage fright? Like, what happened? It was another class. <laughs> you did another class? <laughs> I did the Laughing Buddha uh, class, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, That's which, least... which is, I was like, okay, if the San Francisco is not a good place to do a class, this has to be the best place in the world to do a class. Like, yeah. And it really, it really was an incredible thing. You know, it's like they make you get up in front of everybody. They give you a free mic every week. They force you to do, well, no, they don't force you. But like, there's kind of like that. Get up there. <laughs> there's kind of like if you'd get to the, to the class the next week and you hadn't done your mic and everyone else had, like you kind of felt that pressure to yeah. do it. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, I think, I think after that it was kind of like a, a similar experience, how other people discover comedy, right? You know, you just feel the feeling yeah. and then you kind of just get hooked. Was it one of those things where, because you were so much later to the game, did you find yourself being so much more like excited about it at mics and stuff like that? than your than the peers and the people around. Cause I've noticed you know, like I said, I started in 09 and I still have like this weird childlike obsession with comedy, which is why I laugh so much at the mics, um, which is why I go like I'll just go after work. I go to the stand or the cellar to hang out and just watch comedy because I just I'm obsessed with it. When a special comes out, I watch it and then I watch it again. And like I, I just love it so much. And so I think I'm an anomaly because I know plenty of people who have been doing it as long or longer than mm. me. And they're so jaded and they don't watch stand up and like they just hate it. Um, so for you getting to it a little later, were you obsessed with it? Was it one of those things where you were just trying to go to like every mic every day or because it was a little later in life and you were more mature where you kind of just like, Oh, I know I should do this on these days and like plan it out. It took me a while to be like, to have the confidence or like the courage to be like, Hey, I'm actually going to change the direction of my life to point it towards. Stand-up. Okay. Let's talk about that. How long yeah. did it take? So you do the laughing Buddha. Yeah, I did that and then I really liked it and then I was like, okay, I didn't, again, like I didn't have that, like nothing had opened in my mind that was like, oh, there's actually a possibility for something that I could yeah. do because I was so, still so ingrained and like I had just joined a small company here in New York is why I moved to New York. Yeah. Uh, it had been started by like some people that I had worked with in the past and it was like small enough that I was like, okay, like last time I tried to work at a startup, it got acquired right away. This is going to be like my opportunity to see what it's like to grow a company, mm-hmm. which is something that I had always. And then wanted when to it gets see. acquired, you're going to be one of those guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in the good case. But I was like, yeah, I I knew that it, it's not super likely. So I was like, I'm going to do this for the joy of seeing, you know, yeah. what it is to build a company, watching it's, something grow. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you feel so much more ownership. You don't feel like your stuff is going to get thrown away. Yeah, you feel like so much more impactful in, in the job. And that and that was becoming true as I was working at this company. So then I discovered stand up like within like a few months of joining yeah. this company. <laughs> and then I'm kind of like for the first three 
three years, kind of just like both things. And I'm like, you know, if, if I chicken like, of the egg, man. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I know that feeling because like I said, I do. I do yeah. love my job. So it's weird because there are some times where they're like, oh, hey, so and so is coming in. Like, do you want to work tomorrow night? Like Channing and Zoe are coming mm. in and I'm like. God, I really do, but tomorrow's my mic day, and right. I get into this weird spot where it's like, yeah, but it'd be it's fucking like, so cool to hang out with Channing <laughs> and Zoe again. So you get into this weird spot, and I mean, it's obviously yeah. apples to oranges, but it's that same feeling of like, well, I want to be here, but I also should be there, and now I don't know what to do. And and again, like with the not not again, but like the this idea, people have this preconception that like, oh, a passion is this, and like once you discover it, you like drop everything, you and you leave it, and like. People like more than one thing, yeah. right? It's like oh, I, for sure. Yeah, I, I, as much as like I feel like software engineering is not going to be my priority for the rest of my life. Like I did really like it while I was there, and yeah. I don't see it as like a waste of time or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, but once you in the moment of like discovering this other thing, I was like, ah, like this is just a hobby. Like I, I have to, I have to keep doing this thing that I promised that myself I was going to do, which is the company. Yeah. Um, but then I was in the back of my mind, I was like, all right, like if I can take a risk like a calculated risk I will pursue stand-up okay and that was kind of in my mind so I worked at the company for four years and I was like all right like and now you're doing like stand-up the whole time uh yeah like doing stand-up, but I was doing somewhere between like I wasn't doing a ton I was maybe like on a good week maybe I could squeeze in like seven mics maybe like somewhere between three and seven it was not a lot especially yeah. people that's first starting out um but yeah that's the that's the thing is because I did the mics and I did the bar shows and I did all that shit before I moved to New York you saying three to seven mics I'm like that's a great week but obviously now, when you're now, just yeah. yeah yeah now you know 10 15 years later right but right. when you're just starting out it's so weird because it's very for, you can forget how hard it is to start like I don't even it's been so long that I don't even remember my life without like looking forward to an event that had me on a microphone does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah. like I can't under when people go like how do you do that I go how do, it's, just, it's, it's just a part of me right it's just like, like nature what I, now yeah yeah so I couldn't, but to your point, when you just start out doing three to seven mics a week and it, you're actually trying to get good because there's people who start out, Stephen Baker, a guest on the show, made a very poignant um, observation. He says like karaoke. There's some people who go there and go, I'm going to make it as a singer one day. And there's some people who go there to get drunk and dick around with their friends. Open right. mics are the same exact thing. Yeah. So for you, when you're first starting out and this is something you really want to do, and now you're doing three to seven mics a week. And in a city, there's hundreds. So you're kind of thinking like, God, I, I'm like so far behind. And you started late too, comparatively to people who started like 18, 19, 20. So what was the tipping point? You said you, you did that for a while. And then what was the tipping point to where you switched? So over time, and I mean, disappointed everyone in your family. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a good amount of that, but uh, well, kind of. They've been pretty supportive. My my brother actually studied philosophy for like 14 years. Yeah. So I feel like in a lot of ways he kind of like he kind of warmed them up to like one of their sons doing something yeah, that was kind of yeah. out of the ordinary. <laughs> yeah. He did that. You know, he studied that in college. So and he's older than me. So he yeah. was kind of like the one that like broke well, through. Well, you can always pull the whole like <laughs> he studied philosophy. I am philosophy. Like I'm on stage. <laughs> right. Exactly. People listen to me. <laughs> um. Sorry. What were we saying? When was the, the uh, switch? When did you right. decide? So the switch okay, was I'm like comedy. Was like. I still only saw it as a hobby when I first started out. I was like, yeah, I wish I had started earlier, but then I was like, oh, and I can't actually squeeze that many mics in. And then it wasn't really like, I feel like I could be good at this, like into like maybe like a year or two in. I'm okay. like, this isn't going away. I feel like whenever I hang out with comics, like I feel 
kind of like I felt something that I hadn't felt when I would hang out with yeah. software engineers in a way. 100%. I felt like this is like kind of like we're like kind of the same personality in mm-hmm. a way, which I took. I mean, I don't I mean, I'm not saying that like if you're going to be a software engineer, you have to feel at home with every group of software yeah, engineers. But, down with, but like it did feel different. It felt it was like the first time in my entire life because I've been a loner most of my life. I didn't have a lot of friends. It was the first time in my entire yeah. life when I sat around a table with comics and I go, oh, I, I figured it out. You know what I mean? Like I found it because yeah. for so long I was always. I always felt like something was off. I was never like a broy bro, so I never got super along with the jocks. I was never super smart, so I never got along with this really smart kids. Like I would hang out with those different groups, almost as like a, an acquaintance to everybody. But I never had any like close friends. And then when I started hanging out with comics, I was like, "Oh, it's like, this it's, is my people. We're all the broken yeah. toys. Like yeah. I get it now. Like it's it's us." Yeah. So for you, that's what you started to feel as as you started to pursue comedy was there a tipping point when you decided i'm just gonna do this or like what what how did you get to your situation today yeah yeah it's a good question so (laughs) thank you (laughs) so with the so with startups in general when you join the incentive like the way that you make money is they give you a chunk of the company like become an owner Mm -hmm. right uh they they typically have like a vesting schedule which is like uh, it's funny if I hear like my ex coworkers hearing this, you're gonna like laugh at this because it's like uh, at the four year mark is when all of that that was promised to you actually becomes yours. Okay. Right. So it's kind of like the incentive to stay is then like your salary or whatever, but like they tend to maybe give you more shares in the company, but like not that not, not that many more, especially if you joined early. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that leave right around the four year mark. Yeah, they get their. Yeah, yeah. Whatever they get their equity, equity, yeah, their equity, and then like that's when it is. And so it's like, and and in tech, people move jobs a lot. Yeah. Uh, So like, staying at a job for four years is kind of like an average for like when a lot of people leave. Okay. I'd say even leaving, it's not even like frowned upon to leave after like two years of a company. Yeah, it's almost expected. So it was like that's kind of like a natural progression. I was like, all right, what am I going to do? This four-year mark is coming. Stand-ups and pulling at me. I always told myself I was going to do this if I had the chance. Like now, now's when I need to do this. So that's what happened. And that's what happened. That was September. You hit the four-year yeah. mark. You decided to leave the company and then just devoted all your time into stand-up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And obviously, I will need to figure out the money situation. That's <laughs> well, no, you're vested. You have a part ownership. Right, right. But then that's another thing about startups is like unless the company gets acquired or or it's goes not public, <laughs> it's not worth anything really. It's only worth something on paper. Yeah. Until that happens, that could be years yeah. from now or but never. You get to keep that though, right? That's yours. Yeah, that's mine forever. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. But, but what sucks is like some people are like, oh yeah, they leave the company. That's it's worth I don't know how much on paper, and then something happens to the company. The company collapses, and then it's worth <laughs> nothing. Like this actually happens to people, which is so. And I'm sure that probably happens more often than the company oh, yeah. getting acquired and becoming oh, way, rich. Way, way more often. Yeah, <laughs> especially now there's a huge economic downturn. All the startups are getting like kind of screwed, to be honest. Yeah. So, but hey, you got stand up. Yeah, you yeah. talk about it on stage. Uh-huh. You don't make money doing stand up now. Probably not. Right. God. Um, I wanted to ask. You so uh, coming from Venezuela, uh, growing up in in this in South America was like drinking and was partying and all that. Was that a big part of the culture as you were growing up? A hundred percent, yeah. So in Venezuela, and like a lot of South America is like this, where we have like the the quinceanera, which is like the sweet sixteen. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you're at turning fifteen, the girls are turning fifteen, the parents are throwing them these huge parties with like open bar. You're running around as a fifteen year old, just completely accepted. Yeah, and, and like obviously we would get hammered, but um, it was so accepted that like I feel like with American culture, it's like binge drinking, all this stuff happens more because it's kind of like you're doing it in hiding. It's funny you say so you that. I squeeze it in like different part of the world. Anya Jones was on this podcast talking mm-hmm. about in Russia, a similar thing where in Russia, drinking is a part of the culture and it's very accepted and they treat it with respect. 
And then when it comes to America, it's almost so frowned upon that you have to do it in secret. And then yep. you have to do it in the binge drinking and the parties and the sneaking out and stuff like that. Yeah. So different part of the world, but it's similar, similar kind of look perspective on drinking where it's yep. like, oh, no, this is just this is something fun we do on occasion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And my parents were always like very accepting of it. Like the first time I got like really hung over and had to like throw up. Like I like. When did this happen? How old are you? I was like, I want to say I was like in eighth grade. Yeah, of course you were. Venezuela. <laughs> you and, heard it here first, folks. And I like wake up. I'm like, oh, what is this? I didn't. It's like I so didn't. So what know. prompted it? Was you were you at someone's quinceanera and it, you were just getting no, crazy? This was just like at a house party, just like at my friend's place with like okay. his parents like walking around and like it was like drinking Smirnoff in ices. Eighth, oh like, my god, <laughs> that was my first hangover. Was Smirnoff ices. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's syrup it's literally syrup. oh it's gross like, I, I feel like i still have like a kind of disgust towards smirnoff ice that i swear it was from that first hang yeah <laughs> like, yeah that's how i am with rum i loved rum so much oh, that now nice. i can't i mean no, i don't drink good. at all anymore but when i before i got sober yeah. this last time i would try to drink rum like oh the old days like college fucking here we go little sailor jerry and i would literally it would touch my lips and i'd be like just my gag reflex would be like Ugh, and i'd be like i guess i'm a vodka guy now yeah rum is like a tough hangover <laughs> yeah. so this happens in eighth grade and yeah. but there was no yelling there was no fighting there was no like freak out everyone's just like yeah that's what happens no like, i like well i remember waking up and feeling sick and I was like I think I'm gonna throw up I'm gonna go tell my parents that I'm feeling sick because I drank and they're like oh are you okay like all right like go like do you need to throw Did up they? Like, go throw up yeah like, okay. super nice about it like yeah. they were like this is, this is what happens like and and it's so ironic because learn your like, tolerance yeah. you'll figure it out <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's like somehow them being so supportive of it maybe like be like oh okay it's just like a normal thing you know I don't I have to. I also like learned what excess is. And yeah, I feel like you have to learn it through hangovers. But absolutely. Uh, but that's know. the other thing too. I've noticed in uh, different cultures, European and um, Latin America cultures, excess is not like a thing that's so coveted like it is in American culture. Mm. And I don't know if it's the capitalist background or the the free market, whatever it is. But this idea of like I have to have all of it. It's all for me. Like I have to have all of it. Like. It blows my mind because working at the restaurant, sometimes I'll wait on tables and there'll be one guy at like a six top and they'll order one bottle of wine. There's only four glasses in that. So you have to do like, you know, you have to do server math and be like, all right, well, this right. is how much I can pour. And I'll pour that much. And there's always seems to be one guy who's like, oh, no, 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 I'll take a little more. And it's like, no, this is for the whole table. Like you right. don't understand. Like this is for everyone, not just you. And I find that to be a very American kind of idea where it's like, no, I want to make sure I get all of mine. But like you're saying, and like Anya talked about with Russia, it's very much like, no, 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 no. Like you, you, you have enough until you've had enough and then you're done. Like there's no reason to like overdo it. And that's a lesson you learned in eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, comp like comparing that type of drinking to the drinking that, that I had in, in college, for example. Yeah. Let's get there. Let's talk about yeah, it. So yeah. we fast forward to college and now you're with. And the only reason I want to jump so far is because now you're in America, in Pennsylvania with American students yeah. who haven't. Some of which have never drank before. Yep. Some of which have strict parents, and they're not going to drink till they get to college. So you're at college, and then what? What? How does that change? How does that experience? Yeah, well, it was weird. So I, I joined a fraternity in my second semester. Goddamn right, you did. <laughs> well, because that was so. Carnegie was, it, was, a, like a, was yeah. it a um like a, an engineering fraternity or a tech fraternity or was it? It like was just a, like a general okay. fraternity, but I mean, so CMU was was such a Carnegie Mellon was such a, a nerdy place that like. Really, there wasn't a lot of social life outside of the fraternity. Okay. So, like, the only really drinking that was happening was, like, in, like, Greek life. What was life, the fraternity? Uh, KDR, Kappa Delta Rho. Kappa Delta yeah. Rho. You heard it here first. 
Pika is the only one I remember from college. Pika, yeah, we had a Pika too. Yeah, okay. So um, you joined the frat, and then joining the fraternity was that a conscious decision? Like I want to, like you said, it's a nerdy school. The only like people who are having fun are in the fraternity. So is that why you joined? Yeah, one of the reasons why I joined is I I, I met another Venezuelan guy who's Venezuelan American, so he had grown up in Florida but had been born in in Venezuela. So like we became friends, and then yeah. that's kind of how it was like oh, I met like the other people in the frat. And I was like, oh, these people are cool, like whatever, and then and then ended up joining. And I feel like yeah, I didn't like the the first semester that much. I didn't have like a great time. Yeah, at, at Carnegie, I had to meet like a ton of friends and stuff. So I was like, well, because oh, you're, yeah, you're by yourself basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had I had been to Pittsburgh like one time in my life. That's what I'm saying. You're not going yeah. there with like a bunch of high school friends or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you the first year that you're there, is there any like, are you going to any parties or anything that like first semester, or was it until you joined the frat where you were like, all right, here we go? It was more the frat. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I didn't party that much the first semester. Because yeah. you've said on stage and on the podcast so far that Carnegie Mellon is kind of a nerdy campus. Yeah. Was there hazing to join the fraternity? Uh. <laughs> no, well, that's a no. That's a no. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if there had been like actual hazing, I probably wouldn't have joined. To be honest, yeah. like I didn't want it that badly that I was like, it was. We had like one thing where it was like you have to like interview every brother and like, but if they were just drunk enough, but it's they not were just, hazing. Yeah. yeah, it's not hazing. Yeah. So the reason I ask is because when I was in high school, because I'm 34, so when I was in high school, we like. I'd get the shit kicked out of me by like my teammates and they'd be like, Oh, we're just hazing him. Like we're just making him tough, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'm like, well, why am I the only one getting the shit? Kicked? Anyway, right. That's not, that's for the therapist. But, <laughs> um, then when I got into college, I noticed that the hazing had like for the fraternities and stuff. Cause again, I played college football, but I noticed from the fraternity lifestyle, like it had toned down. I was like, Oh, I thought you got those like shit kicked out of you as far as hazing. And then that was kind of, and then I started dating my ex fiance who was five years younger than me. So when she was in her sorority, their kind of hazing was it wasn't like like eat dirty tampons or something. It was just like <laughs> literally the hazing was you cannot drink while you're pledging. You can't mm. party. You can't drink Wow. to see how bad you want to be a part of the sorority, which and psychologically is actually way more detrimental to your college experience than like getting fucked with. But that was like their kind of yeah. hazing was like, you can't party or can't drink like psychological I, torture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but I remember like we'd be at parties and like there would be like girls that were pledging. They'd be like, you can't take pictures. You can't take out your phone. You can't, I'm not even supposed to be here. Like, Ooh. And I was like, what is this? This isn't hazing. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. So you get to Carnegie Mellon, you join the frat the second semester, and there's you just have to interview a bunch of the brothers, and you're like, all right, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty easy, and then uh, yeah. When the, did it go? When did it start getting crazy? Did it ever get crazy? I wouldn't. I mean, it was like I always say whenever I'm talking about anybody else, it's like it was a Carnegie Mellon frat, so it never got like probably nearly as crazy as like a state school would yeah. have gotten or something like that. I mean, we had like the usual. We had like a lot of like, pong tournaments and like like you know the sweaty basement parties, which I yeah. always thought were like coming from is Venezuela. It mostly, yeah, that. is it mostly men at the, the university, uh, or is it a good mix? It was. I think it was like. Maybe 70, 30. Yeah. It was Guys to girls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The reason. Yeah. Cause there's, it's funny. There's a, there's a college called assumption college. I don't mm, know if you've ever heard yeah. of it, but one, when they, they have a football team, it's like D three, but when they would recruit us in high school, one of the things they put on the flyer was 13 to one ratio of girls to guys. So you, if you go to assumption wow. college, you assume you're going to get some assumption. Oh you know what God. I'm saying? Is- hey. <laughs> so, but with Carnegie Mellon, it being, partly an art school, but partly an engineering school. That's kind of a weird dynamic because art school, you would think more female, but engineering school, you would think more male dominant. So for you, it was mainly dudes. It, it was all yeah. dudes then, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Carlos has something he I wants mean, to tell the, the audience. No, life kidding. in tech. No, <laughs> yeah, right. 
because uh, no tech. I mean, the tech jobs are also like that. It's, it's super all dudes. skewed towards males. Yeah. So I mean, so we try like at the parties they would try and like you know bounce the guys, yeah. <laughs> try and keep like a ratio. Try whatever, everything but, they possibly could. Yeah, yeah. Pay people now. <laughs> <laughs> Those are called escorts, Carlos. It's something that's very common. Well, do you guys have that in Venezuela? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a big... That was one thing when you were saying about like not not like fitting in. Yeah. Yeah, there was a big escort culture in Venezuela where it was like a lot of my friends had already had those experiences in like, they were like 15, 16, and they had oh, already really? like lost virginities to, to escorts and stuff. Yeah. Not you. Not me. Okay. Not me. Didn't do that until I left Venezuela. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. I nailed it. That's the clue. Um... So I want to talk to you because you did send me something that was pretty funny um, about something you would do when you would get really drunk. And you sent me two examples of this. One was on a radiator and then the other was later in life. <laughs> so this was in college or this after was college? This not in college. So it's, it's, I don't know if it was like there was weird, some weird. So sub- in college, yeah. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but oh, just yeah, no for worries. the um, trajectory of the story, since yeah, I, I thought yeah. this was in college. So now that we're getting out of college. While you were at CMU, you guys would just have like a traditional, like like you said, sweaty basement parties and beer pong tournaments and stuff like that. Nothing got too crazy. Nothing got too crazy. I do have one story. Which Go ahead, one shoot that, it. Yeah, yeah. It, that one was in college. And then, so a little bit of backstory, like I would always, because I was such a rule follower kind of growing up, like the best friends that I ended up having were kind of people that were not like that. Yeah. Kind of, so one of my best friends in college, uh, kind of a crazy character always the instigator getting in fights and stuff big drinker and we're out one night i didn't know you in college <laughs> so we're out one night at this bar that we'd always go to and then this was pre-uber so we had to like, get a cab to go mm-hmm. home right so we're outside and or then, you could just drive yeah or you could just drive which that's what i did in venezuela in venezuela <laughs> that was completely accepted i would like drive to the club pick all my friends up and drive back at three in the morning. And like after a night, this is drinking. like after you've left and you're coming back to like visit and stuff. Uh, this or was even this in high like school. It, this was like 17. <laughs> dude. It, it was wild. How accepted all this stuff was. Yeah. Uh, we don't condone drinking and driving here. On we the definitely, podcast. No, it definitely don't. This before. <laughs> I can never really regret doing it. I was just so like, well, no, young, Joe, let's talk about it. He's like, every time I, he's like, it happened. Like I drank and drove, but every time yeah. I talk about it on a podcast, people are like, that's terrible. <laughs> he's like, well, what do you want me to do? Not say I did it. Yeah. I was like 16, 17. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> So you're getting cabs in college. Right. And then at some point, like everyone's waiting in the corner for like the right, like the cab to come through. And at yeah. some point there's like another guy. It wasn't, it wasn't clear who was there first. And we could have just been nice. I mean, my friend could have been nice because he was kind of the instigator. He could have just let the guy take the cab. But somehow he starts like starting, yeah, yeah, starting stuff. And then the other and guy was like, in the corner like, this is why I hang out with um, this guy. I, I'm, I'm like, Mostly nervous to be yeah. honest, but I was pretty drunk, so I'm like, I'm like, ah, like I don't know what's gonna happen. And then <laughs> the guy's like deciding to walk away, and my friend's still like yelling at him far away. So your friend won, and in, in this moment, your friend got the cab. The guy's walking away. Well, he, but he's still yelling at him. Okay. And then the guy, at some point, you see a switch go off in his head, and he turns around. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna do this. And then he ru- ch- like runs at us. There's yeah. like a big guy, and then him and my friend like tackle each other right in front of me. And my first instinct was just to like, oh shit, and I just like kind of kicked the guy a little bit in the ribs. I honestly remember the moment. I don't think it was like that hard of a kick. Yeah. But as soon as that happens, I get put in a chokehold by cops. Oh, no. So those two cops had been doing the rounds right outside the bar. And they were like, they were really mean. So the second (laughs) you just tag the guy, boom, you get hooked. Yeah, and they were like smacking me around like the cops, and they put me in handcuffs. They don't put anyone else in handcuffs. Just you. Just me. I'm walking around with my American passport because I was like my uh, for whatever reason I was using that as ID that night. Yeah, I give them my passport and the guy's like, "Oh, born in Venezuela, like, like you foreigners don't know how to respect here." Wow. And I was like, "Do you think wow. he knew you weren't you were um, an immigrant or not even an immigrant because you're a citizen? Did he 
Because you, like you said, and like we talked about very early in the show, we you joke about it all the time. But if I was walking down the street and I saw you, I wouldn't go Venezuelan. Right. It was like he was like really trying to be racist. I'm trying to like <laughs> tiptoe around, like not being like, well, you don't look Venezuelan because I hate no, I mean, I, do I, that, I generally don't. I mean, yeah. even in Venezuela, I was kind of more like the American kid. Yeah. So it was a little bit of that too. But So uh, did you, did he, do you think he had any idea? Because it, until he saw the passport, yeah. I don't think he had any idea. Yeah. So he yeah. was just tagging. He was just mad at you because you were kicking the guy when he was down, basically. Yeah, but the guy was, wasn't even down yet. Um, he, it was like they were. I like love still, how you, when you did the act that you're like, I just kicked him, like just a little, because that's not even like <laughs> that's not even assault. Like you're just ah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like they take all my information. I'm freaking out. So he like literally says, year. "You foreigners don't know how to act." Yeah, you foreigners don't know how to come in here and respect or something okay. like that. Something, re- and I'm like, I'm just, I'm so I'm also really drunk. I'm like, so sorry, man. And he's like, stop calling me man. And he just like he's like slapping me. Uh, yeah, so then I, I w- like we like leave. They like let me go. They take all my information. And then I wake up the next day. I'm like, should I like report these guys because they like they were like hitting me, yeah. and insulting me, and, like saying like racist stuff or whatever. And then a couple weeks later, I, I choose not to. A couple okay, weeks I was later, say, yeah. So do you get released on your own recognizance? Y- yeah, I didn't, even, I didn't even take me anywhere. They just like handcuffed me, like smacked me around, whatever. Took my information, then let me go. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, but then I wake up the next day with like a sore throat. Like I had never been put in a chokehold like that before. It felt like I had like had a like cold. that. You mean a chokehold ever? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> well, <laughs> 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 no, I'm joking. Hey, um, talking about the apps. Uh, <laughs> so then, what happens? So then two weeks later, I got something in the mail saying I'm getting charged with yeah, uh, you have to go to court with yeah. misdemeanor, simple assault, whatever. In the in the description, it says that I threw the guy down to the ground and kicked him in the head, which they, is like, not what happened. Straight up made up like what happened. Yeah, are, yeah. Now, are the police at this point wearing body cams? I don't think so. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Because this would have been because you're this my age. Like so this would have been. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, they're not. Ago. Yeah. Because what happens in my experience, um, the last time I got arrested was 17. And they showed me the body cam footage because I was like, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight this. And I just got a public defender because I was pre-law. So I was yeah. like, well, I'm already dead to rights. Like there's nothing. Hiring a $10,000 lawyer isn't going to change anything. And I remember the public defender, the like second or third time we met, just slid the DVD across the table. She goes, plug that into the laptop. And I watch Ooh. it and I go, yeah, I'm not going to fight anything. We're just going <laughs> to, we're going to turn this up. Like, yeah. But that's the thing is like, had they had their body cams on them, you could have, filed an injunction to get the footage to be like i didn't do any of this but yeah obviously yeah, 2010 that's not an option so yeah yeah well, it's just your word against the cops and, and so i had to like i had interned at amazon the year before so i like used the remaining money i had from that internship to like get a lawyer and then went to court the cop didn't show up once went to court again like they the, didn't drop it as soon as he didn't show up no i got there and they like rescheduled i think the first one maybe like the the victim didn't show up like the guy okay. that i had kicked and then the second one the cop didn't show up and then they dropped it i okay. had to go to court twice so yeah. you dropped yeah. yeah 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 nailed it and then i got it i mean all that just got expunged or whatever yeah from, like, it just yeah, goes yeah. away yeah, yeah once they yeah. drop it it doesn't exist right, anymore. right yeah damn um, yeah you're that just was... assaulting people out here <laughs> look at that carlos almost had a record like i did um <laughs> so then that happens that happens in college yep so yeah. then fast forward, we get out of college and now you're living in Seattle. Are you partying? Are you getting, cause some of the stuff you sent me, I was kind of like, how does, this doesn't seem like Carlos. So how does this, how do you find yourself in these situations? Yeah. So in, in Seattle, I think I had like a more of like a, I experimented a little bit in college with like drugs and some stuff like yeah. this, like, you know, just like tripping and psychedelics yeah. and stuff like that. And that kind of continued into Seattle. I, I was of course, like, it's Seattle. Yeah. And at the time that I was living in Seattle, also huge male, female, like, like despair, like way more men than women. Yeah. 
I couldn't. It seems to follow you around in your I, life. It's just the tech thing. It yeah. really is the tech in all the tech cities. Uh, they're kind of just like that, unfortunately. But anyway, so in Seattle was also like the I mean, the stereotype of Seattle is very much. I don't know if you've been there, but it's like the the darkness. Yeah. And like it's the, always cloudy. It's, it's always, always rainy. lightly rainy. I've seen twilight. Yeah, it's very much true, and I couldn't deal with it, and so I was like, kind oh, of so like, it really affected you. It very much affected me. Like that ended up being kind of one of the reasons why I left. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't go past like three years. So then you're in Seattle. Are you, um, other than experimenting with some of the stuff, are you like going to parties? Like what's happening? Like, yeah, yeah. Tech people throw ragers. I don't know how that works. Uh, ish. I don't know. Maybe they would call them ragers, but other people would just call them regular. Because I've had people on, <laughs> and this is from my experience, just like some of the smartest people in the world that I know, the only way they know how to decompress is with drugs and alcohol. Mm. So they go insane. Like yeah. they throw huge parties and you're like, you're a fucking like valedictorian like what's happening right now and they're like i don't know any other way to calm down yeah yeah i so, met a lot of characters like that okay yeah. yeah so yeah. in seattle were you guys were you partying like that or was it more laid back i had a few friends that had moved uh, also from Carnegie Mellon, from college mm-hmm. into seattle so then if we had like a particularly stressful week we'd like go out like you know friday saturdays like to the bars and stuff but yeah. seattle wasn't that crazy of a scene to be honest like I feel like when I moved to San Francisco, that let's had a get lot into more. it. What happened? Yeah, so that's where I met a lot of characters of people, like, especially with like Burning Man. Yeah, and you meet a lot of people that are very much into like drugs and stuff like that, and and just drinking. Uh, but I lived in one house that was like all burners. Are you uh, living with roommates at all these different stops? Yeah. Okay. I lived with roommates. Maybe one year I lived alone in Seattle, but for the most part with roommates. Okay. I lived in one house of like six or seven. Bur- it was like a huge house. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the mom of the, of the girl that owned it was like super rich and had bought this like really big house. It had like two kitchens. It was like a oh wow. Per- but there was like eight people living in this house yeah. on like crossing like, two different floors, and uh, this <laughs> it's not drinking related, but like there was a lot of like whippets. God. And I had never experienced whippets in Venezuela, and I was like, "This is so." You guys don't have ready whip in Venezuela. Uh, I don't think we ever like use them as, as like drugs, but I think we have. <laughs> <laughs> we have like whipped cream or whatever it is. Yeah, like, I remember. Yeah. God, I remember the first time I did a whippet. I didn't even know what to do, and someone in my family—I won't say who—but they were just like, "Oh, turn it right side up and breathe it in," and I did, and I was like, "Oh, this is so weird." Yeah. But are you doing it out of the cans or are you guys getting like real nitrous oxide? They had, well, it was like the, I don't know if they would like transfer it from like a bigger thing into the whatever. There's like a name for the machine. Like the spray can or whatever? Yeah. yeah but you like use it to, to get cream and turn it into whipped cream. Like yeah, those yeah. machines. Yeah. Yeah. That thing. I forget what it was called. I know what you're talking about though. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. they have them at some of the fancier like pastry places. They have them where they put in sugar and cream and then shake it up and then flip it upside down and it like turns it into. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Things. Yeah. So you're just doing that. Every day on occasion, like what's happening? I like mean, your I would, roommates are doing them all yeah, the time. Yeah, I honestly like could, I only made it like a year in that house because okay. it was like this was like was because it was too intense. It was too intense. <laughs> it was like it was like whippets like whippets during the week. I was like, this is like whippet Wednesdays or <laughs> not that they would call it that. Just, <laughs> That's a great thing. They should have called it that. So when does the um when does the radiator thing happen? The radiator thing happened. Is that in New York? Oh, sorry, I skipped. That was in Seattle. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, How did so, that happen? Because that wasn't the first time, or that was the first time, but it won't be the last time that you do something like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never had any like pee story. A lot of my friends in the frat had them in, in college, yeah. and I never, for whatever reason, I used to pee myself all the time. Oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, I'd get yeah, blackout yeah. drunk and just wake up and be like, "What happened?" Yeah, yeah, that's happened to me too. But uh, so this girl, we like hooked up, and then we had been drinking a lot, and then in the middle of the, actually no, in the morning, I wake up and she's like, "Carlos, like." do you know what you did? And I'm like, no. 
And she's like, no, you, I woke up in the middle of the night, you were peeing like into my radiator, like into my heater. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then she's like, and then when I asked you to stop, you were like, what? I'm just peeing. Like, leave me alone. (laughs) 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 And I was like, oh God. Uh, Yeah, that was, that was my one out of two pee stories. Did you, at the time, because this has happened to me, did you think you were in the bathroom? I think I must have because I've heard. Yeah, I've had people on before and tell stories about like going into a closet to pee or going into like for me. I remember one time in college, I woke up and I I had my TV on like a like a nightstand almost. And then I had all my books in the nightstand. Mm. And I remember I woke up out of my bed and I walked over and I opened up the nightstand and then just peed into it thinking it was the bathroom. Right, right, right. And I remember that because I still had to use those books for class and they all stunk like pee. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that's why yeah. it's burned into my brain. That's funny. She said well so she said that she turned on the radiator a few days later and she had to turn it off cuz it smelled horrible. <laughs> did you ever figure out what happened? Like did she ever get it cleaned? Or did you never speak to her again? No, no. We were like friends, kind of okay. like the same friend groups. I definitely yeah. saw her again. Um, I, I, I didn't follow asked up. about it. I didn't follow up about the heater. If anybody out there knows the person who lives in Seattle <laughs> that Carlos peed on their radiator, reach out at BrennanTComedy.com. Reach out. Let us know. Or send them um, a radiator. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to know what happened with the radiator because you can't get that smell out. Oof. I just went to my ex's to see the dog the other day mm. and she had to throw like two of the rugs out. And I was like, why is all this hard? Like, what happened to all the rugs? She goes, she wouldn't stop peeing on him, oh. so I just had to throw him away. Like, she might have had to throw that radiator out, man. Do you think the dog was sad because of the like breakup or something? Or like, we don't have to get existential about <laughs> this, but yeah, I think the dog is incredibly that's where my sad. My mind goes. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're comics. Um, yeah, man, I'm the only one that takes that dog to the park. Anyway, uh, we're not going to get into that. Uh, so this happens, and then when was the next one? How long away was it? The next one was like maybe three years later. Okay, so it's not like something that was... I was going to name the episode The Pee Bandit, but this isn't something that's happening all the time. <laughs> no, the other one was I, I think more of like me thinking that I, that I was going to the bathroom because okay. it's like we were like... But it always happens somewhere where you're not where you're not living, right? It's also like the the, the yeah. yeah. So we were at my friend's place who was living in LA and it was like a bunch of my college friends went to like visit Is this, the weekend. Is um, this... So you said a couple years after Seattle. So this is when you're living in San Francisco. This was I'm pretty sure I was living in San Francisco okay. at the time. Yeah. So not doing stand up yet. Still intact. Doing the San Francisco thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then exactly. you go to visit a friend in L. A. Yeah. What's the yeah. friend doing in L. A. He was working, I think, in like finance okay. or like banking or something. So just uh, another one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. He had a really nice apartment, like overlooking yeah. the beach. You said he's yeah. working in banking. And finance. Yeah. Yeah. It was a sweet place. Um. So we like we like it's like five of us crashing in this place and then went out. Like did like karaoke, yeah. Like big night, and then big night karaoke <laughs> for the tech guys. Big exactly. night, it is, yeah. And then and then, and then this one I do remember, wait, like kind of blacking in or whatever it is, yeah. and like it's like four in the morning, and my friends like, dudes, what are you doing? Like stop it! And I'm just peeing into like the corner of his like room. It was like right right by the entrance. It was like, was this the the guy who owned the house, the apartment? Was yeah, this he was the one that the, yeah, it was like renting, but yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh man, that's the best. That's the, that's probably the most alpha thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, you're yeah. like, no, this, uh, look this at me. Is my I'm corner. the captain now. <laughs> I am the captain now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he was super. I mean, he had had his stuff peed on before, like many times. Yeah. <laughs> so he was He's already even used paid to that. for it sometimes. Yeah, hey, it, it wasn't and like I think someone had peed in his laptop once. So it was like, as far as like damage to his property, it was this fine. pee story was like not that much, yeah. not that bad for him. Yeah. God. 
Two P, you're the P bandit, man. <laughs> we got to get you really drunk one day so you pee with something else. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the trouble. Um, I want to get to the elevator story, but I want to save that for last because that one was funny to me. Mm. Um, but the trouble with mom. Because you had talked about earlier how you hadn't gotten much trouble for drinking and stuff. It was an accepted part of the culture. But you had sent me a story about getting in big trouble with your mom. What was that about? Yeah, and that one wasn't even so much for drinking. It was more that, like, uh, my parents, I was very much a rule follower. I was kind of like the good kid. Yeah. And my parents. What year set this up? How old are you when this, this happens? This is uh, probably senior year of high school. Okay. So, like eight, so 17, 18, 18, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then my parents are very much like, which is something that I kind of live like this today too, is like Monday to Friday, you kind of like work hard and then mm -hmm. Friday and Saturday, you can do whatever you want. You kind of yeah. work, work hard, play hard. hard. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then she would like never let me go out during the week. Okay. And then one Thursday, like my friends were having a party, which wasn't that common. And I was like, come on, like, let me go. And come on. She let me go. And then I just did not kind of control myself and like ended up <laughs> coming back, like hammered at like four in the morning and she'd called me like five times oh really and it takes a lot for my mom to get mad at me because like i would generally follow the rules i was like yeah. a pretty good kid but when she did get mad at me she was like very mad so what ended up happening did you get grounded were you not allowed to go uh, out or i remember what is what is my mom getting mad at me in venezuela what does that look yeah, like yeah i think she i'm pretty sure she grounded me like she definitely didn't let me like go out for, yeah. for a while um i do remember something funny it was like was like the hangover was so bad i had to go to school the next day obviously and like i'm in the library i ended up like puking in the library yeah. did you really <laughs> yeah like in the bathroom but still oh you made it to the bathroom yeah this time? i made it to the bathroom but that was that was rough um but yeah you don't always make it to the bathroom carlos that's why i asked <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to ask you we have time for one more story uh the elevator one I'm assuming this happened in New York. Wait, which one was the elevator? I'm trying to. You remember. talked about um, getting in an elevator and basically harassing everybody. Oh, this is. Oh, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, this one I didn't get that that much trouble for. It was more just my own. No, self this just sounds hilarious. Which yeah, is why I wanted yeah. To save it. I would like. So this was one where it's like we went. So I lived in, in a city called Valencia, which is two hours away from the capital, which is Caracas. Okay. So we had gone to visit. Oh, so this my is in Venezuela. Friends. Yeah, it's in Venezuela. This was also I was like probably 16, 17. Okay. Um. And end up going out with like my parents, friends, oh, like I'm sons. sorry. Yeah. So you're living in, you're not visiting Venezuela. Living you're in living Venezuela, in Venezuela. Like high school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, at least I'm pretty sure, but it was, I was probably like 18 and living in Venezuela. Okay. Um, so this is before you left for Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. Yeah. So we go out with like my uh, parents, friends, like sons yeah. that were like older, a lot older. And one of them, you know, when, and I feel like this happens. It's like someone decides like they're going to get you drunk. Oh, yeah. And like that, it was I'm that normally situation. that guy where I'm like, <laughs> everyone in here is getting yeah, fucked up. Exactly. So it was like, I just remember drinking like a lot of vodka. And then at some point we're in an elevator. We're like leaving. Where are the, you leaving though? Where, where are you? We're, we're, oh, sorry. We're like at a bar. We're leaving the bar. And there's an elevator in the bar. And there's an elevator to go down to the Venezuela parking lot. Venezuela doesn't sound like it's doing that bad. All right. There's <laughs> elevators in the bar. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It was like a nice building. But, uh. Anyways, so we're going down to downturn my ass. <laughs> well, well it is funny how like in a, 12 years ago, even in a place where it's like everything's going generally poorly for most of the people, there's always going to be some sliver of society that oh, like, yeah. lives always. very well. Is uh, that I wanted to ask you, yeah. um, speaking of the unfortunate um, like wealth gap in society, let's get into it uh, in Venezuela. Is there like, you know, it's made fun of in South America and Latin American countries and same thing in Eastern Europe about corruption and stuff like that. Is that like a prevalent thing where oh, there's yeah. like 100%. a governor who has like a thousand acres and a giant mansion and then there's people starving in the street? Yeah, pretty much like if you're involved in politics or you're involved in the military, like they're like rich people. Okay. 
just because they're associated with the government. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And there's okay. tons, makes... and all this that's fueled by corruption. Yeah. And like, all yeah. right. Because there's that whole skit on Parks and Rec where, uh, God, the uh, actor from Portlandia, the you know uh, who I'm talking about, yeah, the, uh, Fred Armisen. Fred Armisen. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's like the Venezuelan general. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a funny episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You undercooked the chicken straight to jail. You <laughs> overcooked the, the chicken straight to jail. <laughs> But that's all based on like a Venezuelan dictator thing, so that's why yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, it's like loose. I mean, it's definitely exaggerated and embellished. No, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, but, but I just remember the country stuff. he was from was Venezuela. Yeah, yeah, he was from Venezuela in that in that episode. Yeah, uh, but all the corruption stuff. It's like I mean, the reason why you could like drink and drive, for example, is like you get pulled over. Like technically, it's illegal, but you can just. Pay, like, it's just a matter of like how much money you need to pay the person that like, yeah. pulled you over. I tried uh, that once in America. Where? Here, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> I was my first DUI. I remember I kept yelling. I had just come from work and I went to the bar and then I got pulled. It's a it's check it out on the one man show. Um, premieres May 31st on May 31st. Patreon. Nice. Uh, but the officer was like um, taking me to jail. And I remember I just kept like in the back. I was like, listen, man, I've got two hundred and seventy dollars from my shift tonight in my wallet. You can have it. And he's like, are you bribing an officer? I go, I'm not bribing anybody. All I'm saying is if I leave my wallet in the back of this car, you know, you think you could pull over and let me out and I might forget my wallet. And he he, he laughed it off because obviously I was hammered and, you know, I'm jovial and like having a good time. But in retrospect, my buddy who became a lawyer was like, dude, that's bribing an officer. That's like five years minimum. And right. I was like, oh, boy, well, I'm glad he didn't take that seriously. Ooh. But in Venezuela, you can just do that. You can just do that. That's yeah, awesome. I've had to I mean, bribe an terrible. officer one time. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. How did yeah. you never tell that story? <laughs> uh, I wasn't drunk. I was just like, uh, I kind of just forgot about this, I guess. So one time I got pulled over and it was like, they usually just ask for whatever documents you need. Like yeah. they do here too. Money. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, but like you also just drive around with stuff that's expired because if you get pulled over, you just have to pay them off. Yeah. But I had never done this before. So it's like, I had something that I had was like expired and the guy's like, Oh, what are we going to do about this? And I, I call my dad and I'm like, cause he's like, a, yeah, <laughs> everyone, Your dad's like, Venezuelan, yeah, yeah, everyone in Venezuela is like an expert at it. So I'm like, Oh, what do I do? He's like, well, just say, Hey, what can we do about this? Like use these words. Yeah. And he'll say something and I just ask him like how much he wants or whatever. Yeah. And then I just like, how much does it, it cost? To... I don't remember. It was probably like, if you change it to dollars, probably like three dollars or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, something easy like easy. yeah. In out on with life. Yeah, we yeah, should not like move a lot. back to Venezuela. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely some. There's definitely a lot of reasons I miss it. Not necessarily the bribing, but like <laughs> oh yeah, but I other mean. stuff. Yeah. So we're in the elevator in Venezuela at this bar, and then what happened? You said you were going to leave the bar, and you're hammered on vodka. So in the elevator, there's like these girls that are in the elevator that were not part of our group, and for whatever reason, apparently I like started like opening up my shirt, and I was like. <laughs> And I started saying like um, "me quieres coger," which means like "oh, you want to fuck me." <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure I was a virgin back then. I was <laughs> like, I had never had sex, and I'm just like telling this girl if she wants to fuck me. So what ended up happening? Did you get slapped, or did they just storm out of the elevator? I think they just ignored me because I was so drunk that they were just like, oh, "We're not even gonna address." You're like this. the guys on the subway when they come in and they're like, "Hey, everybody," and you're just like, "Look straight ahead. Don't acknowledge them. Don't acknowledge them." <laughs> God, well, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks yeah, for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, man. Let's see if we can do anything time. to destroy your future endeavors. Yeah, I guess we're, we'll find out. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Plug everything one more time. Let everybody know where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Carlos G. Comedy on Instagram and the show at Eastville is American Immigrants, uh, May 9th, 8 p.m. Perfect. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening at Brennan T. Comedy on all social media. BrennanTComedy.com. Again, the one-man show, ex-drinking buddy, a comics look at life, near death, recovery, and redemption. We'll premiere on Patreon May 31st, so keep an eye out for that. And we'll talk to you all next week. 